All right, top of the afternoon, Mr. Paul Chihi and special guest Heidi back here at Caffeina Coffee Shop on a glorious Tuesday afternoon, nice sunshine, beautiful, beautiful day. So happy to be here and to, uh, to have a special guest with us. I don't know about you guys, today did not go as planned. Um, you sometimes walk into a day having a plan. And then it got completely derailed um, by whatever students wanted my plan to be today. So uh, I'm feeling still a little bit like my brain is still going going strong um, from today's shenanigans. End of the year shenanigans is what it was. So yeah, they're probably uh, itching to get out of there. I would imagine, as you two are as well. <laughs> Getting there. And and Heidi, you're teaching, and how are the shenanigans been over at your uh, your school this year? There's a lot of shenanigans, but it's a lot better than it was when we came back from COVID, and it's much better than last fall. Yeah. So I've had to Good. restructure how I teach and procedures to accommodate, but it's better. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. This this time of year can be uh, get get a little bit nutty. Um, as I was walking out the door, somebody, I said, I'm heading out to do our, our podcast, and, and somebody said, you, you got to tell that, that story, and so I'm going to tell the story about things not going as planned. So last week, it might have been the week before, it's all a blur, um, we started this, not, not last week, but a while back, we started this thing called Random Donut Day. Have I talked to you about this? You have not. Okay, Random Donut Day. So the Random Donut Day actually came from, like an idea to help our teachers learn how to call the front office in an emergency when things were like high stakes, right? Like you need to call in an emergency, call the front office, memorize the, the four digit code. And so the random donut day was created to, to teach or practice that. So the idea was kind of like the nth caller at the radio station. So I would bring a, a box of donuts, get on the intercom and say, okay, Random donut day. They wouldn't know when it is. X caller calls into the front office, wins the donuts for the class. And so people be scrambling, making the phone calls, call in. We reward donuts. Good times. People practice calling in. But my favorite part of that, by the way, just side tangent, is going, saying who the classroom winner is and then going to the classroom next to them with the box of donuts and saying, hey, congratulations. And then, oh, say, uh, sorry, wrong class. They love that. (laughs) Brutal. <laughs> okay, so last week was random donut day, but I I escalated a little bit. I brought two sets of donuts for two sets of classrooms. And then also just to be also random, I brought a bag of snap peas. It doesn't matter why. Snap peas just sounded good. So I had three rewards. And I wanted to also make it a learning experience. And so I set up three of our, our staff members to stand at the, th- we have four AEDs in the school. So I had them stand at three of the four AEDs. You guys are familiar with yeah. the AEDs, right? Yes. Okay, emergency. Good. And the, instead of having a random caller, I said, uh, my, my goal was to have the first person out of each classroom go out of their classroom, find the closest AED, and the first one to get there would get the box of donuts. This is the first two minutes of class. We just, we're just getting started for the day. Everybody's settled in. Mr. Caldwell comes on there with the random donut day activity. But instead of saying the first person from each class, I said, the first class 
And so what happened in an instant is I cleared every classroom in the school, including <laughs> teachers, <laughs> into the hallway, running through the hall to find the closest AED. Not a boy. <laughs> so things sometimes don't go as planned. You no need big that deal. Chaos planning, right? <laughs> Panic planning. Yeah. They'll remember that one oh, though. They'll good. remember it. So Ah, good times. So Heidi, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're the first mom that we've had on the Rec podcast. Um, so you've listened to the show and, and know kind of what, what, what we do here and kind of what it's about. And you know a little bit of our story, Paul and I. So maybe start with you. Give us a little bit about your story and, and um, both you personally and, and, uh, and your loss in particular. Well, I had a daughter that was uh, 16 years old, and she was a student at Eagle High taking a friend home from a fundraiser um, for orchestra, and she was crossing over Highway 16, and um, it's dark. it was dark, and the stop bar was about 20 feet back from where it is now. We've gotten the road changed. They're just being, you know, activists, but... Um, she didn't see lights coming her way, and they don't even know if the driver had her lights on, but she T-boned her at 70 miles an hour. And um, mm. Shauna lived for about two weeks in a coma and then eventually died um, in surgery. And, um, you know, it's been 10 years now, and it's interesting how your prism changes when, because you grow spiritually, um, but there's a lot of things I have to feel thankful for, but it's still very hard. You know, like two nights ago, she, she's always the last thing on my mind before I sleep. And when I wake, she's the first thing I think about every day, every day of my life. And yeah, it's been a long, it's interesting because I'm getting up there in age and, you know, I'm aging and I think time goes faster as you age, but when you think about the child you've lost, it seems to drag forever when everyone else's life goes on, you know. It's like life before and life after. It's like you've had two lives. Exactly. Yeah, that, that totally resonates me with the kind of the before and the after life. It, it's, it, it is a different life for sure. Tell us a little bit about Shauna and thanks for sharing that experience. Yeah, well, she was... Um, you know, all children are special, but I was raised in Catholic schools, and um, I felt really influenced by the Dominican sisters, and I went to Dominican camps every summer, and um, the root of my life is through the church, and I always felt like I have a, had a gift to be able to feel the presence of holiness around me, and I always felt that way about her. She was our little one, and there was something... Youngest of how many? There were just two at that time. We have three now. Okay. We adopted a little boy at birth. But um, she just had a very holy presence about her. And I remember going to bookstores at the time she was born in 1996 asking, do you have any books on how to help a child that's spiritually gifted? I could feel something different from her that I didn't feel from other children. Wow. Yeah. And... She was a light. Like in her presence, we would either laugh or not talk at all. And when we didn't talk, I could I could feel the presence of Christ when I was with her. And I don't know, I could go on and on about what it was like to raise her, but it was 
it was such an honor to have her in my life. And I felt when she was about five or six, I always told my mother and only my sister, I never shared this with my husband, but I kept telling them both, I feel like I'm not going to keep her forever. And they said, why? I said, I don't know. It just, she doesn't seem like she belongs in our world. She, you said that yeah. as she, when she was much younger. Yeah. And you know, when I went to the hospital the night of her accident, the sheriffs came to the house to get me, and my husband was in the Navy at the time. He's a Navy pilot. He was over in Hawaii at Pearl Harbor working, so they had to get the Red Cross to go find him. But when I got to the hospital, you know, I when I saw her, I knew she wasn't going to survive, and I. But I didn't feel. I I felt like I was on some sort of mode, survival mode, like we are, are we all are, you know, at that moment. Sure. Um, but um, I wasn't surprised when she passed away. They came out of surgery, and I could tell this. The the neurosurgeon had his head down, and he wouldn't look at us. And my husband and my brother-in-law were all excited to hear the good news. And I knew by the body language of those coming at us to speak to us that it was not good. I was not surprised because I always felt like she was supposed to be somewhere else. Not like that. And of course, we don't want our children to die in accidents. We don't want to lose our children. But I felt like, you know, we always know that our children come to us through God, you know, if you believe in Jesus Christ. And they leave that way too, but not that young. You know, I thought I would have her forever or I would outlive her. And you know how that is. You know, you... You plan to grow old and had to have your children part of your life, and but she had a very holy presence about her that I just can't describe, a lightness about her. Like when I would hold her hand, I felt like I could close my eyes and I was somewhere else. It was just different than other children. I, was, I used to tell her that, and she'd say, no, I feel like a Martian, Mom. I'm like, no, you're not a Martian. You're just different than other kids. Yeah. She sounds amazing. What a, an, an unimaginable experience to not only lose your child, but to go through two weeks of, I don't know, lingering hope or, you know, an unknown where you know it's so bad, you know, and you said it, you didn't think she was going to make it or maybe was sure that she wasn't going to make it. But to have, I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think in my own experience, like, would I have wanted that you know, to have that two weeks of hope. And I think I would, I mean, but at the same time, I think it's another level of agony that I'm not sure I would have wanted, you know? Yeah. Cause you don't want your children to suffer, you know, and it was the greatest anguish I've ever felt in my life. And I knew that the, the doctors in the ICU weren't telling us everything because they, they know people can only manage and handle so much and hear so much. Um, and they told us after she did have pneumonia and, you know, I knew she was dying. She tried to get awake once and she had trying to get her little eyes open and she was trying to rip her IVs out and all that. And we got excited thinking she's going to, everybody else got excited. I'm like, this is not, you know, I w- felt like I wasn't on the same plane as everyone else. But um, it's interesting because I had a conversion during that period too. I, I never really understood um I never really understood the depth of suffering of Jesus Christ, and maybe I never will, but if there could have been something liter- 
linear for a, another human being to experience, that probably would have been it. Because it felt like to me, um, and when I went through counseling, I said, you know, it felt like a modern-day crucifixion watching this. I said it was just horrible. And one night, I this is the craziest thing. I was sleeping in a room in the hospital, and I heard what I thought was a train. And I wouldn't share this with anybody but you two. And, or a loud wind. I'm like, what the heck was that? And I woke up and I said to my husband, what was that? He goes, what? And I said, what was that? He goes, I didn't hear anything. No one in the room did. There were five of us in there sleeping. But something told me that she was tired and she wanted to go. So I went right into her IC room and I, IC room and I whispered in her ear. I held her hand and I, I told her we loved her. But I said, I can see you're struggling and you're suffering. And if you can't do this anymore, it's okay to go, and Daddy and Mommy will come soon. It's okay. It's okay. And she had this little tear drip from one eye, and she squeezed my hand. And, you know, she died the next morning in surgery. And I, I kept having this feeling that she really just needed, you know, they say people need permission. And yeah. so I had, I had a, there's some really good things that came out of it for me, not for her, but I had a spiritual conversion going through that process. And there were a lot of holy moments during that process, yeah. you know. And she was the one that really brought me, really honestly, to know all that Catholic indoctrination, which I still go to church, and I'm still active in the Catholic Church, and I love the Catholic schools. I'm all, she was the one that brought me to know Jesus Christ, Shauna was. And maybe that's why she's here. She was here, you know. Yeah. Wow, Heidi. <clears throat> you guys think I'm crazy? No. <laughs> opposite uh, so touched by that it's a beautiful story I love hearing the spiritual side of things with the evidence and your strength and experience and hope today thanks Paul I always wonder so like good and I'm sorry um, hearing uh, just hearing that from a mom and describing what is for all of us the most like you said the anguish the crucifixion I mean the way you described it but there's a beautiful twist to your story and you're sitting here telling us and uh, I keep saying it I'll say it every week and I'll say it again today it ripples out and it helps it helps so much and uh, again thanks for your courage to share that story thank you and for us to be the only two that you've told the train story for now, I'm in a secret group. <laughs> it's <pretty> weird. <laughs> I was like, what was that? <laughs> no. But you I, know who told me what it probably the, was? Was a 88-year-old nun that Sister Mary Louise, have you met her? I haven't. Uh, she was a sister of the Holy Cross that worked up there in ICU, and she was working full-time up there at the time. And she would go in there and pray a deck of the rosary with my daughter. And she said, oh, dear, I know what that is. Wow. So it's been 10 years, it's kind of, you know, t Paul, it's been 21 and inside a year for me and, and 10 years for you. Yeah, I mean, where where are you at in your grief journey now? I mean, you, how are you still, I guess, grieving and, and going through that? What's that like 10 years after the fact? Well, you know, once in a while I get really sad and I do cry a little bit. 
And about a month ago here, I had a little bit of a breakthrough. I haven't had one in a long time. And things trigger it. And I never sometimes know what. But our older daughter, who's married now, um, Haley, was only 13 months older than Shauna. And they were like peanut butter and jelly together, you know. They were pals, and they never fought. She's really missing her sister, but she happened to tell me that her and Dan are expecting a baby. It'll be first-time grandparents. And... I thought about it a few days later. I'm like, that's probably what made me sad. Because, you know, time goes on. and People's lives go on. And you, um, like, you have milestones yourself, Mike, that are coming with graduation with the kids and Braden. And, you know, it's all these milestones that I think, oh, you know, maybe Shauna would have met somebody by now. And, you know, she would be an aunt, you know, in November. And... You know what would she be doing with her life? And I think that's the that's it. I mean, the hardest part when you lose. Well, hate to qualify things as the hardest because I haven't figured that out yet. It's all hard, but at what what makes it additionally difficult is not just losing the your child, but you then also lose about lose the their future and what you had or what they had in, 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 in front of them and, and all of that. And then you lose also the opportunity to be part of that. It's, it's like so many levels of loss, not just losing a person, but losing kind of that future for them, like what, what, what they wanted for their future and what they were excited about. And then you, like you said, you, you have this vision of growing old with them in your life and you have that, that whole plan in your head and kind of what it might look like when you're X age, you know, down the road and all that disappears in an instant. And so you, you just have all that levels of loss that you you have to come to terms with. And I'm not there. I'm still... You're come. getting there, though. I, th- I think you have a clear understanding and a lot of people don't. You have a clear understanding. There's many levels. And it changes as the time goes, you know. Yeah. And it, the magnitude is just, you just can't even wrap your head around it. Like some days, I don't know about you guys, your fathers, I was a mother. Some days I just can't wrap my head around what happened because it was so crazy. It's so crazy to imagine that happening to you because before that happened to Shauna, I would say, oh, my gosh, I feel horrible for families that lose their children, you know. Like Amy. Amy would always come check on me. She's so sweet and see how are you doing and it just made me sick to my stomach, honestly, when I got the news about Braden. Because you probably felt it again, all over again. Yeah, and it bothered me for weeks. I mean, intensely for days. I'm an empathist. You know, I feel everything. But, you know, some people would feel, I felt like when that happened, I couldn't breathe. I felt like someone took a match to me. Like lit me on fire. Yeah. That's what I felt like. Oh. Mm. Yeah, the, the not breathing, it, it really, that's, that's resonates with me, and I still find, find that at times. Same. It, and it takes a toll on me, too. i got to consciously stop it yeah. or start, whatever right, the right. case may be. But you're right. I think when before, before you lose a child or before you go through that yourself, you hear those things, and we've talked about that, that before on, on this, this podcast, is, is you obviously think and you, you, you feel for the, the family that has lost someone. And then you kind of, I mean, you feel it at a certain level, right? But once you go through it, 
like you feel it at a deeper level for someone else. I, I've found that. And, yeah. you know, I know recently there was a, a family over at Timberline that lost their son. He was a tennis player. Um, I think Jody. Yeah, he, Justin he Smith. Jody taught him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, and it was a, one of the a cardiac arrests. Cardiac playing, arrest at playing, tennis practice. Playing tennis. Out of the blue. Also 16, I think, 16, yeah. 17. I mean, young. And when you hear those things, you just, I don't know the family, but I just, like, feel their pain just, like, instantly and at, a, at a depth that I, I had never felt before. And just, like, you just kind of walking through what, what they're probably thinking and going through and the, the shock and trauma that they, they experience. And you kind of experience it again to your, to a certain level yeah. when they go through that. So, yeah, just a new level of empathy, I guess, um, that you gain through this. We're coming up on, you know, we're, you know, June 12th will be a year. So we're a month and a, month and a week or so away from, from, from the, the date that he was killed. And as I kind of go through this time period, I'm thinking about kind of where we were and kind of revisiting like, Oh, you know, almost a woulda, coulda, shoulda, if I had that time back and to, to change things and all those types of things. So that's part of kind of my experience now is, is this, I see this timeline of leading up to the day and it takes me back to where I was a year ago and what we were doing. And, and, you know, you just it just kind of almost drives you crazy thinking about what what I could have maybe should have done or you know but that that will drive you mad you can't do that but it it's I created it will and it's again it's one of those firsts you gotta live through it and check it off and adjust and accept and uh, yeah, I like what you guys were saying about those memories that were never created by our children. And I always wondered if Sarah was going to be a volleyball player. I don't know why, for some reason. And then, of course, is she going to meet someone? And is it going to be a he or a she? And all those things that uh, all my other, all the other people in my life, you watch that happen. You know, the wedding circuit. And the getting out of the school, the graduation circuit, man, that's that's still hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, what would she have worn to graduation? It's a silly thought because she was only eight years old. But here they come when those certain triggers come out. Oh. And uh, so I don't envy that you got to walk through that. But uh, like we're all nodding our head if you try to backtrack too far and ask why too much you will be the one that's uh, not getting any better yeah indeed yeah and you you wonder you know about all those things that you said like what they would have done or you know look like or whatever but that's that's one thing that's been so kind of in in front of me all year this year because I'm in the school right. you know with his peers and what I've can't imagine that what I've noticed, you know, and obviously, I mean, I know this to be true even before this, but so much they, they're growing so much at this age still. Right. And he was going to be a junior this year. And you see these kids that were sophomores last year, juniors this year and how much they physically change. Yes. How much they mature and you know, and all I have is the pictures, you know, go, dating back to, you know, 
before the accident and, and, and those types of things. But it's, it's a constant reminder of like what he would maybe look like today, you know, and it's only, it's not even been a year, but it's like, there would be a lot of changes in a yeah, short amount of he's time. that picture forever now. Exactly. Yeah. So. I always, uh, that's one thing too, that bothered me was, you know, she was going to be, she was 16 and she was killed in December. You know, she died a couple days before Christmas. But the last picture we had of her, well, we had pictures of her, but the last professional shot we had of her was like in the June before. But she had changed a great deal. And I often think between the time she passed and senior year, they change a lot. I, I just they wondered do. what yep. her adult face would look like. You know what I mean? Yeah, same. Yeah, exactly. And Braden still looked like a kid. Right. Yeah. He totally did. Yeah, I was... <laughs> As I we go up and down the stairs in our in our in our house, we have all all the family pictures that we took in October of of that year. Um, you know, so what six months before the accident, and you know, there's some um, awesome pictures. But every every morning, night, every trip on the stairs, I'm seeing those pictures, and I'm seeing what he looked like then. I mean, but that's 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 who I have in my mind when I think of him. Um, and I always, you know, kiss my hand and pick a picture and, and give him a kiss as I walk by. And, and uh, but that's what, you know, I'll always remember of what he looks like. But he wouldn't even look like that. He had braces at the time still. And he was, you know, weeks mm. away from getting his braces off. And so how much he would look, how much, how different he would look now. Right. You know, so, yeah. So do you, both of you, I don't know, Paul, if you had other children, but. Did you guys experience, like, it, I try to explain to my students, because I, I do teach a, a unit on grief, and I talk to them about how every person in the family unit is a puzzle, whether you're divorced or separated or whatever, married, whatever, and how, how fracturing it was to my family. Like, are we, Ted and I took Kaylee away to Disneyland about a month after Shauna passed. We didn't even know how to relate to each other without her standing in our presence, because that's all we had ever known, you know what I mean? Oh, wow. That's a great visual to articulate, I think, the reality of, of, of kind of what happens in your family when you take out, you take out one of the main puzzle pieces, right, of, of, of your family. And for us, family of five, and, and he's not there. Yeah, it does, totally changes dynamics. And I think we're still figuring that out. I mean, in a lot of ways for us, there's some some a lot of ways I would say that we've gotten a lot closer over the last year um, for sure and maybe not taking any day opportunity for granted and, and those types of things but at the same time relationships are adjusting I would say in in terms of you take that you know take him out of, of the picture and you know in terms of physically being here it does change some things. Um, ah, that's a, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would, how do you relate to that, Paul? Your situation a little bit different. A little bit different here, but uh, I like the puzzle. You take that giant piece out. I mean, that was my identity. I was Sarah's dad, right? And so it really altered, man, what am I now? And so it did alter the relationship I had with Sarah's mom. And, but the puzzle, by the grace of God, we adopted another kid. 
and this this boy Jace man he's 19 now he ended up being that puzzle piece that went back in didn't quite fit and then it fit just right because he ended up saving my bacon I can tell you that right now I can't speak for Jody but uh, that was a gift from God that wouldn't have never happened would have never happened without Sarah's accident so if you believe in you know trying to check out the bigger picture and so I didn't ever have to have the grief conversation with my other children but he grew up knowing a sister that he never knew and he put it I don't know he's done a lot of crazy things that are like you called crazy and I just did there it's like wow I mean he goes and gets a picture of Sarah uh, and he de- he's like three or four years old he's got his own room never you know we don't he knows of her but hasn't heard all the stories and he goes and gets a little picture puts it in his room right by his bed and I can visualize him doing that little thing that you just talked about and uh, he says some of the same funny words that she said and it's like okay this is a definitely a connection to God or the spiritual part of what you know what was a life-altering event a wrecking ball yeah for sure and he's home yet from he's college, we're or? going to get him next week and you're not excited about that right? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I can sense a, the giddiness right he's calling his mom three times a day to help shouldn't rat him out but uh <laughs> he's so ready to get out of there and yeah so we're going up to get him next week this wait. was year one yes year one year one down the down the tube Awesome. And he struggled for a semester, but uh, he dominated this this semester. So, first year of college, uh, most kids struggle in one way or the other. It's, right, it's and he adjustment. was fresh out of the COVID thing, so he never had a real high school experience per se. Yeah, you know, I don't know, I don't know how he pulled it off, but yeah, he's coming around. Yeah, uh, exciting, and he'll be all around all summer. Yes. Good stuff. That's Lord gonna, willing. That's going to be an adjustment. <laughs> just just be ready. I know. Having a college student home, and you had you had some of that for I've Thanksgiving, had, Christmas. Right, so, had a little bit of practice. Got to get the, <laughs> the food cranked up. Yeah, they, they get their independence, and then adjusting to that is all. And out the door at weird yeah. hours. Yeah. Now, how <laughs> right. old are your other two children, Heidi? So Haley is um, 29. She'll be 30 next month. And... Um, and Elliot is seven, and we adopted Elliot um, through a family, and I can't talk too much about family member. I can't too talk too much about it, but we did watch him be born and got him at birth. Yeah. And um, he's an interesting little boy. It's um, it's kind of crazy raising kids at this age, but it's been really it's been a joy. He's a real smart little guy. He loves school. Um, And it's been fun for Ted to have a little boy because we had two girls. You know, it's different. And, um, you know, my husband's gone a lot. He's a pilot for United. He does international flights. And he works for a company that owns fighter jets that they bought from Oman and Jordan. So he flies those and does some adversarial stuff as a contractor. And... And he's so he's busy a lot because he's only got two more years to work and then he retires. So I'm with Elliot a lot, and it, mm-hmm. I, it's just been really nice. It's but it's tiring, 
raising little teeny ones when you're older. But he's not, you know, he's not needy. He's just really self-reliant and yeah. fun. To, he's real fun to be with. He's playing flag football. That's fun. Oh, cool. I know. Nice. <laughs> yeah, our girls, you know, one was a figure skater and one, one played college soccer. But never the football experience. It's been fun. Good. I always say I peaked as a coach, as a flag football coach. Oh, I bet. I miss, I miss those days. We were old pal football, little flag. It was, it was good. It was fun. It's fun. Yeah. Um. Yeah, more power to you to raise a seven-year-old. I don't. I don't no I don't think I have the the energy to do it. So good for you. <laughs> it's really nice, though. He um. He's in religious ed over at Holy Apostle, and his dad told him he had religious education tonight. And he said, "No, Daddy, I don't think so. It's not in my calendar." I said, "You don't have a calendar." <laughs> he said, "Yes, I do." <laughs> <laughs> so interesting trying to get out of it you know but he goes and he does like it yeah. he's got a little little bible meant for first grade level and likes to get out that thing and read it and that's funny I yeah. know and we hope to at some point put him in one of the catholic schools here yeah um, come, you know once you once you step into the, to public education right now it's there's so much going on that you know if you feel like their life would be easier there's so much going on with the kids it's nice to be able to afford private education yeah yeah so Heidi one of the things we talked about a few episodes back was kind of the acknowledging the difference in grieving um you know specifically between my myself and my wife and just kind of being aware that even though we share the same person you know, and lost the same person. Our relationship was different with him between the, you know, my relationship with Braden is different than her relationship and, and we're just different people. Have you, um, I don't know, how, how has that experience been for you and, and your husband and, and losing your daughter and kind of working through that kind of together, but also almost independently at the same time? You know, Ted is not a controlling person, but he's a I can do person. He's he exhausts me. He's so motivated to do everything and fix things, you know, yeah. and make things right. And I think that he was convinced she was going to live. And I said, you need to prepare yourself, Ted, because she's in, you know, I had had enough science. I had two science degrees. I understood what, what condition her brain was in. She had two in, impact points, and I knew it was bad. But he just, um, he just had such a hard time accepting her death, you know, that... It was really, it was hard on both of us, but, you know, he was raised in a different faith than I was, and so I think that what happened to her was impossible for him to process down the same line that I was able to, um, and I remember when we were up at, in the ICU, the neurologist asked us, you know, she's had brain death, but we can try to do a skullectomy, and sometimes the brain will swell go back down and and maybe she'll live and I I didn't want to do that on there because they did say to us you know she might feel it and I said God no you know and he said yes yes we have to try we can't give up we can't give up and we're in this terrible point where we had to compromise somewhere and I just had to turn it over to God and I just kind of gave in to him because he would have lived the rest of his life thinking he could save her but I I researched it later I, I was not able to find anybody who survived 
brain death and had a scolectomy and came back, but we did, and it did not work. Um, but he's a lot. He's been like you, where he he would really beat himself up for a while, and he said, "I should have, I should never have let her drive that soon." And I said, no, you can't do that, because she was our good driver. And ironically, even if the older daughter were to hear me say this, she'd agree. She was a horrible driver, like heinous. <laughs> like, neither one of us wanted to get in the car with her, drive up curves. I mean, bad, right? But he just lived with a lot of guilt after. And he was gone when it happened. You know, he had to fly over the pond and come from Pearl Harbor, not even knowing what kind of condition she was in. He just carried ter- terrible guilt. and. And a lot of anger toward the person that hit her because the person was impaired and had a long record of impairment in driving. And I just told him, you know, forget your anger toward her. You know, I would constantly have to coach him, like, forget it, forget her. Who cares about her? Just put focus on healing yourself and your grief with the loss of Shauna. Right. It took him a while, but he, you know, worked through that. And he obviously had a different way of working through it than I did. He carries her picture in his wallet. But he says when he has to focus, he can't look at it too long. And I don't know if you guys are men. I don't know if you feel that way, too. But In terms of having something that... Like, think about it too much. You know, he says when he has to focus, he can't think about her too much because it, get, it makes him so upset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually... I don't even know how to answer that. I feel like I'm, I'm thinking about... Braden all the time it's just it's it at the very least it's in my peripheral vision like it's never like absent I don't feel you know sometimes it moves to the front and center of my vision if you will of my what I'm thinking about but I I I don't know I guess I find ways to keep functioning and doing work and doing what I need to do while, while still having him on my mind Sorry about the background That's noise, okay. uh, all the vehicles going by, but yeah, but I, you know, I carry around the rock that, you know, from, from his, his ashes in my pocket all the time. And it gives me a sense of, I guess, comfort and closeness to him in some way, I guess. Yeah. So for me, I don't want personally right now, I don't want to put him out of my mind. I want him closer in my mind and memories to be I guess more um, kind of front and center it's kind of where I'm at I right now I think that's what he was like the first few years and then as he had to focus more and more on his job like United Airlines met him down and wouldn't let him fly for a while um, I think as time went on and I don't know about you Paul he was able to um, compartmentalize when he had to yeah. But that was one of my greatest fears. I was I remember I was getting Catholic services. I was getting some counseling f- from them. She said, "What's your greatest fear?" And I said, "My greatest fear is I'm, one day I'm going to have dementia. I'm not going to remember her. Like I won't remember her or know who she is or people will forget her, forget her name." I don't Right. I don't know why that I feel that fear. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I have that. I've felt that as well. We haven't talked about that the fear of forgetting or not remembering right and you we talk about the pictures and our last guest mentioned took him four years to be able to look at his son's picture and you know i was the same way about i don't know not so much picture well yes pictures and the cemetery 
I couldn't, man, I just couldn't get anywhere with those places. And I had so much anger over the driver that took out the van. And then I, I don't know, I kind of decided who I was going to blame it on and ran with that <laughs> for a while. But it took me a ton of work and a PTSD counseling. I had to, you mentioned the word compartmentalize, and that's exactly what it is. And maybe that's what men need to hear. You have to put, have a little stone box that you can put it in to fly a plane or to keep a relationship or whatever. But, man, I love, like you said, I love, I have a picture here, and it's it's beat to heck. But I love when someone says something, and I need to show that. And now you got the phone. You know, I got a whole bunch of stuff on the phone that I've uh, backtracked out. So uh, it's taken a lot of time for me to deal with the anger and I drank those I stuffed it down and I finally got to a point where I had to do something with it or I was I had stopped living you know I could see Sarah saying yes dad we had to have an accident but why are you gonna be here soon or then you know yeah. stop it and uh, powerful yep for sure you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of bad in Facebook um, or Meta, whatever it is. Like it's you know addicting, and there's a lot of garbage on there. But one of the things that I thought of when I first got on, whenever it was, a long time ago, is you know it's kind of a, a journal where you can throw out, throw some pictures of your kids and stuff. And and someday I'm going to come back to these and, and look at these. And now I'm so actually thankful for those because now you know they get kind of resurfaced. And here's a memory from ten years ago or five years ago. Good. And some of those you kind of they kind of fade away from the front of, front of your mind. And and then those things pop up. And it's like oh, I remember that that trip. And and it just kind of brings those things back front and center. And so. There's some good in it, and that's that's one of them. And I know we're we're getting. And speaking of memories, I got to share one 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 story. Um, memory back to 2021, um, Middle Fork salmon trip. Okay, and I'm going to come around to this this story. This happened last week. Um, in 2021, the the summer before Braden was killed, we we were we went with a group um, that drew a permit on the Middle Fork salmon. I don't know if you're a rafter, yeah. Heidi. No, okay. but I know where that is. We've okay. been up there rafting. 100 miles or whatever, Frank Church of No Return, just amazing experience. Braden and I on our own raft, there was eight rafts, six, 16, 17 of us. Um, they talk about it being a once-in-a-lifetime trip. I would love to go back, but if that was, I mean, it truly is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It was, it was amazing. So a friend of mine and I went to Fly Fishing Film Festival last weekend, and... Um, he was one of the friends that went on this trip with me and we went to this to the show and went into the theater and found a couple seats next to some two other dudes that were sitting there already and waiting for the film to start and struck up conversation with these two guys and one of them mentioned he had, used to be a teacher now a chiropractor or a retired chiropractor and you know just had some small small talk um Intermission comes after the first sets of video, the first video, and and they start doing raffles, and we didn't get raffle tickets, but so we're just kind of, uh, my friend Rob and I are just talking, and and they're raffling hats and T-shirts and things like that, 
And as they're raffling, I turned to Rob and said, ah, you know, just started reminiscing about the Middle Fork trip and how wonderful it was and how great it was to have that experience with Braden. And we're just, you know, just, you know, talking about that trip and how wonderful it was. And um, the final raffle prize of the of the uh, drawing was they pull it out and it's this big wooden sign that had um, Frank Church of no of Frank Church Wilderness River of No Return kind of what you would see kind of at the at the start of the river you know yeah. the kind of a Forest Service sign and I looked at it, I was like oh that's so cool and we were just talking about the Middle Fork it was really neat and the sign comes up they draw the ticket and it's you know the guy in our row that we were talking to earlier that that won the sign so we're, we're like ah oh, good job you know he goes up there and gets the sign and then he he comes down and they're about ready to start the next set of videos and I just say, oh, that's so cool. We were actually just talking about the Middle Fork, and you know that sign is so cool. And he goes, yeah, if you, if you want it, you can have it. And I'm I'm like, what? <laughs> and I go, no, I'll give you I'll give you some money for it. I don't want it for free. And he goes, no, you can have it. And and so we're about about ready to start. So we went out to the lobby and chatted. And and he goes, he goes seriously, if you want it, it's yours. He says, I'm I'm not going to be here in a couple weeks. He goes, I'm actually trying to get rid of things. I don't need this. And. I, I said, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I've been battling this liver disease for eight years and I'm f- finally no longer on, I'm no longer taking any medication or anything. And I literally have two or three weeks left to live. And he goes, I don't need this. And so I told him, I said, well, let me at least tell you why this particular sign is meaningful for me. And so I told him about, you know, our middle fork trip. I told him about you know, losing Braden last year and, you know, almost made it through and kind of was a blubbering mess and kind of got emotional and he got emotional and we're, you know, out in the lobby and, you know, we hug and talk and, you know, and, and, uh, had a really cool moment. But, you know, one of the things I said and it was, you know, cause he was completely at peace, big Harley, um, piece of, you know, of his, you know, de- death. He was he kind of came came to that conclusion that he's just at peace with it. And I just asked. I said, you know, when you go, keep an eye out for Braden and and others, and and uh, give him some love for me. And so he said he would. Good story. Good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty cool moment. And um, shout out to him and um, prayers for him and his family. And as he goes goes through that. But so did you take it home with you? So I took it home. Good for you. <laughs> and I have a perfect place where Paul's been in 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 my man cave that uh, is in the kind of back of my garage that that I kind of built as a you know little getaway and Braden and I that was our kind of hangout and kind of did some things out there tying tying flies and things like that. So I have a perfect place for it. And now when I see it, I'm not only going to think of Braden in our memories, but this gentleman in that story. That's really cool. nice. That's excellent, Mike. Yeah. So anyway, wanted to share that with you. Um, with that, I think we're going to wrap up. We're right at the 40, a little over 45 minutes, which is usually our, our time period. We've been pretty good with that. So Heidi, once again, thank you for joining us and sharing your story, sharing your, your you grief guys. journey. Um, learned a lot from you and appreciate appreciate you being uh, vulnerable and sharing. So thank I'll you. second that. Yeah, Thanks. I'm sorry for your loss, both of you. Same to you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. God bless you. Well, you thank too. you very much. Peace. All right. See you guys next time. Thanks for joining us today on Wrecked, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.